We're going to look at two verses of 1 Peter chapter 2 just for a couple minutes this morning while the burgers are finishing, basically. And uh, so I'm going to read them, and they're up on the screen, so you can read along, uh, follow along with me as I read. Uh, you can also look up 1 Peter chapter 2 in your copy of the scripture. If you don't have a Bible of your own, you can grab one uh, from the chairs around you. They're in the racks under the chairs. You're welcome to keep that if you don't have a Bible. So I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 2, 11 and 12. We'll have just a, a brief time of prayer and then uh, our message this morning, the light of hope. So here's what 1 Peter chapter 2, 11 and 12 have to say. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is God's word. Will you join me as we pray? God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the grace you have shown us in and through Jesus Christ. We thank you for the joy you have given us in seeing your word find a place in the hearts of young people uh, this week. And we thank you for the opportunity to uh, know you through the truth of your word and to share that hope uh, with those around us. So we thank you for the work you did in Vacation Bible School this week and the ministry that you continue to have through the people of this particular local church. And we thank you also for all the other churches in the area that seek to serve you and proclaim the gospel. And we think even of our uh, fellow church in uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, Revelation Church, as they uh, seek to share the good news of the gospel with Coeur d'Alene this week again. And we just pray your blessing on Pastor Zach and his whole crew as they continue to do the work of the gospel uh, in Coeur d'Alene. We pray also for Brenda Allen as she continues to serve you uh, in uh, Western Africa. And we ask you, especially as she is uh, working with some students who are just finishing their nursing training and they're going to be taking their experience uh, into uh, Western Africa as healthcare workers as well as the hope of the gospel. So we pray that their ministry and medical missions uh, would be effective and powerful there in uh, Western Africa. Uh, God, we pray for Vicki and Cody as Cody is going through a significant illness. We ask for your help, especially as it seems that this might be uh, Cody's time to go. God, we pray for Ron Price that your hand of healing would be on him and he'd get better soon. We pray for Mike and we pray for Frank who also need your help and your hand of comfort. We pray for Travis and Donald and Gregory and Tiana and Casey and Christina. These are folks that we know need the hope of Christ in their life. We pray, God, that you would bring the gospel to bear on their souls even this week. And we pray as we take a little time in your word this morning, God, that you would show us your grace, that we might know Jesus more and love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, the light of hope. And the, actually, the, the idea that God is trying to tell us in this passage starts all the way back in 1 Peter chapter 1. So I'm going to actually read a couple more verses, if you don't mind. 1 Peter 1, 3, 4, and 5 say this. 1 Peter 1 just maybe on the previous page in your Bible. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So what the Bible is telling us here is we should be praising God because God has provided a way for us to receive forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ, that Jesus 
died on the cross to provide forgiveness for all who would receive him. And then, in fact, Jesus rose from the dead so that we can have hope in Christ, that one day we too would be raised in Christ to live with him forever in an inheritance that never goes away. This is uh, something that is made known to us through Christ and as we discover it in his word. And so this gives us hope. This is an important topic to the Bible in 1 Peter is because the people who are reading the book of 1 Peter are under significant stress and trial. They're being persecuted. They're going through a very difficult time basically because they are Christians. And God through 1 Peter wants them to have hope. And so what I've called our message today is the light of hope, because not only is it hope, it's hope that's revealed. We see and know hope because Jesus provided that hope to us by dying on the cross and being raised again. So we have the light of hope. Look at verse 11 of chapter 2 again. I'm going to have you flipping all over the Bible today, and so get your fingers stretched out, ready to go. Beloved, I urge you, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, just the first part. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Stop there. The light of hope calls us home. The light of hope calls us home. The hope we have in Christ calls us home. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Sojourners, a fancy word for somebody who is out of their home country. They're traveling. I don't know that I've used sojourner in a sentence this week. But it's someone who's traveling, who's around. If you go to the Shakespeare Festival this summer and see a play, odds are you're going to see someone there who's sojourning. They traveled here from somewhere else uh, to see a Shakespeare play. So I urge you as sojourners and exiles, exiles who are people who are out of their own country because their own country is um, uh, unstable politically or there's danger of losing their lives, so they'll flee to another country as, as exiles. So the light of hope calls us home, and he says uh, for us to uh, think of ourselves as sojourners or travelers or exiles, those who aren't home yet. Now, many of us this summer might travel a little bit, maybe go up to the lake to go camping, maybe head down into California to go to Disneyland, maybe head out east for some reason. And uh, in August, most of us have planned our trips this year right already for August. We call it smoky season, and so you've already planned to be out of town for the entire month of August. So no matter where you go and no matter how much fun you're having, doesn't matter where you are, how much fun you're having, at a certain point on the trip, you'll say, I can't wait to get home. You'll say, oh, it'll be so nice to what? Sleep in my own bed. Be able to get out of bed and know just what food is in the fridge and not worry after, go down to the hotel lobby and get a bottle of water. So it's nice to be home. It's good to be home because it's familiar and it provides comforts that are designed uh, just for us. It's just for us. It provides ease and relaxation. It's where we can let our guard down. We can be, really be ourselves. And what the Bible is saying to us is we have to think of ourselves as not home, that there is another place that we yearn for, that we say to ourselves, I can't wait to be home and sleep in my own bed, and I've never slept in it before because this isn't our home. He says, I urge you to think of yourselves as sojourners and exiles in this world, in this life. We're foreigners here. We're exiles here. We are not from our home here. In fact, we're traveling. We're just on our way to another place. This happened to another guy. His name is Abraham. And in the Old Testament, Abraham was told by God, if you've heard of him, that he would inherit the promised land. And at a certain point, his family would possess the promised land. 
And Abraham lived on the promised land. However, the promised land was not yet his. It hadn't been granted to him yet. It was just something that God had promised. It was a covenant God had given Abraham. He said, someday you and your children will possess all of this land, Abraham. But that covenant isn't happening yet. And this is what it says in Genesis chapter 23, just after Abraham's wife has died and he needs a place to bury his wife, Sarah. He goes to the people where he was living, the Hittites, and he said this to them, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Same words that are used in 1 Peter. In fact, very likely that 1 Peter is referring back to this place in Abraham's life. Abraham saying, I'm a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for burying my dad. Give me a place to bury my wife. And he paid money to purchase a plot of land so that he could bury his wife because he saw himself as a sojourner, as an exile. Even though God had made a promise that he would inherit one day that land, that promise had not yet come into fruition. So Abraham lived under that promise by faith. He trusted that God would provide him that home, and where he was right then was not his home. And so that's what we're to discover in Jesus. When Jesus makes a way for us to come into the family of God through faith, we discover through Jesus our our eyes are open to the reality that we have hope of another home. It changes our view of this world. Our hope in Christ, which draws our gaze to our actual home should change our view of this world and it would change our views of this world to this we're just visiting we're just a passing through we're just here temporarily we're sojourners we're on a trip and we can't wait till we finally get to be to our actual home sleep in our actual bed and enjoy the life that god has given us for all time and this is a time where we look at our life and we're just visiting. We hold loosely to this life because it's just vacation till we get home to the place where we're to go. Here's what Jesus had to say about this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 uh, and following. You could just listen to me as I read something Jesus had to say. Jesus said this, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, For such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me, Jesus says, by my Father. And no one knows the Son, that is Jesus, except the Father. And no one knows the Father except Jesus the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Verse 28 of Matthew chapter 11 says this. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you what? How's it finished? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. How does this tell us something about this place, that we are just sojourners and exiles? Jesus says this, my home is a place of rest. The home I am preparing for you is not a burden. In fact, everything about it is restful, not just for your body and your mind, but it is restful even for our anxious and uptight souls. In our actual home that we look forward to, everything is going to be characterized by rest. How do we characterize this place, this place we're visiting? 
there's a common term for the workaday life in this world. We call it what? The rat race. Can be ever like, well, I don't want my life described as a rat race. Well, I'm not describing it that way. I'm saying others have, where it's just on to the next thing. Go to work, go home, make dinner, get everybody ready for bed, go to bed. Wake up the next morning and it's all over again, like a hamster on a hamster wheel. Over and over and over again. You have to, somebody might have to tell you, today is Thursday. I don't know. It's the same as every other day. And it's the rat race, and it's burdensome. Just when you think you've gotten a little bit ahead, something comes up and knocks you 10 steps back. And then for some of us, we've, we've gotten everything we had ever hoped for, and we realized, as one Super Bowl champion said, when, I, when we won the Super Bowl, it didn't do everything I thought it would. I realized the real joy of winning a Super Bowl was all the work getting there, and once I got there, it wasn't everything I had hoped for. And that's the rat race. This, is, this world is designed to be a burden, to wear us down, to be heavy. And Jesus is saying, my world, the inheritance I'm giving you, the home you're going to is not a rat race. It is not a burden. It is light. It is easy. It is gentle. It is rest. The light of hope calls us home to a home that is better than this place. Remember, Jesus is not calling us to leave something good to go to something lame just because it's the right thing to do. He's saying, no, I want you to leave that which is lame and come to something that is good because that's the right thing to do. And the home we're going to is a home of hope and lightness. There's a certain kind of missile Stay with me. It's called a heat-seeking missile, meaning it tracks something that is warm. So you launch this missile, and it goes after the engines and the, the hot surfaces of enemy targets. Our hearts are missiles, but they're not heat-seeking missiles. What kind of missiles are they, do you think? They're hope-seeking missiles. Our hearts are constantly on the lookout to find that place where we can have hope. Something to look forward to. Something to say, I can make it another day, another week. I've got that coming up. Our hearts are hope-seeking missiles, and Jesus is not telling us to stop it. He's telling us, that's the way I have designed you. However, as a sojourner here, he's telling us, set your heart of hope on that which will actually provide it. Our home in Christ, our home that lasts forever, our inheritance that is characterized by rest. The only way to do that is to consider ourselves here in this world sojourners exiles, visitors. In the gospel, we're, we discover that we are designed to search out our hope in God and to lean onto God and trust that all our hope will be fulfilled, not in this place, but when we go home. The light of hope calls us home to eternity with Christ. Now, like I've mentioned before, we've never been home, so it's a little bit hard to look forward to it, isn't it? What's the wallpaper going to be like? Is there wallpaper in heaven? I have no idea. The Bible is silent on the subject. After years of study, I can't find anything about wallpaper. We've never been to our home, and so what we can tend to think is because we can see this world, this place where we are visitors, so clearly, so tangibly that we tend to think that this is our home. Our job is to make ourselves as comfortable as we can in this place as our home. So what we actually need is our eyes open to see the reality that our hope is not here, our hope is somewhere else. So the light of hope calls us home, and secondly, the light of hope opens our eyes. 
The light of hope opens our eyes. When I was going through college, I was a janitor. I was a custodian, worked in this office, and of course, that you worked uh, cleaning the offices after everybody was gone. So it was nighttime, and you go up and clean the offices. What you learn, going through, working through the office, uh, getting the trash bins out, um, it goes faster to not turn the lights on. You can turn the light on in every office you go to, and there's a little bit of light that comes into the office when you open the door from the hallway, and it shines in, so you learn to just go in, grab the trash, get out. You're trying to get the job done, right? So you don't turn the lights on. Well, one day I go into this office, open the door, and I can see where the chair is behind the desk, a shape. And it's like, oh, and you know, you kind of are startled, and then you go, oh, that's right, this guy's a musician. He's probably thrown his guitar into his chair. In your heart, you're going, simmer down, my be still, my beating heart. So I turn the light on just to verify, right? Just make sure this is actually a guitar. I turn the light on, and there's a guy sitting there in his chair with this big, stupid grin on his face. <laughs> and, you, and you do this where, like, I, you know, your heart just stops, and you, you take a couple of steps back, and he's, he doesn't move at all. He's frozen because it's not an actual guy. It's a full-size cardboard cutout of a guy, like a movie poster-sized guy, and he thought it would just be hilarious. Just, it was Stephen Curtis Chapman, of all things. I hate that Stephen Curtis Chapman so much now. It scared the <laughs> daylights out of me. Every time I see him, I want to... <laughs> so I flipped on the light. So the light comes on, it, it, but just a person. So, so my eye, when, the lights are, when, the, when the lights are out, I can sort of make things out, but my mind is filling in the blanks. When I turn the lights on, I can see clearly what everything is, and even in the full light, it takes a minute for my brain to figure out what, what reality is. And what the Bible teaches us is that when the light of Christ illuminates our souls, our eyes begin to be open to the reality of this life and we're to see the world the way it actually is. Before Christ, with our, our eyes blinded, we look at this world and everything we could possibly hope for is here. We, everything we could possibly dream of and hope for is in this place and we look for hope here, here, and here. And the light comes on and it illuminates these hopes that we had and we start to say, wait a minute, that doesn't offer me the hope I thought I would have. That isn't the hope I thought it would. And so our eyes are slowly open to the realities that our, our souls even were leading us astray into false hopes. Look at the second part of chapter two, uh, 1 Peter 2.11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. The light of Christ floods our souls and we realize even our own desires and appetites are not necessarily our friends. We tend to think and we tend to be told and we tend to believe that whatever I might want, what could possibly be wrong with that? And the Bible illuminates our souls and says, what you want may not provide the hope that you think it will provide, and our eyes are opened through the gospel to learn something that Adam and Eve misunderstood. Adam and Eve, when they abandoned God, said, if I just have this one thing I want, even though God says, no, I have this one thing I want, everything will finally be okay. But when Christ illuminates our souls and illuminates the world around us, we say, even if I have that one thing I want, I have learned the truth, I might not be okay. It is not providing me the hope that I might need. In fact, the light of Christ opens our eyes to discover God is all we need. 
And God will provide everything that will satisfy our souls. A couple of things we might think about, the passions of our flesh. They are appetites that aren't necessarily evil. Hunger. Everybody's got to eat. Love, a desire to have companionship and closeness and intimacy with another person. Fairness and justice. Life should be equitable. People who are wronged should be compensated and people should be treated fairly in society. These aren't bad things, are they? What about security? Having enough to know that tomorrow will be taken care of and even the next day. Having enough to be able to take care of the needs of a family or a community. None of these things are evil in and of themselves, but the, the Bible describes these things as passions. If we say to ourselves, if I can satisfy my hunger and my love and my need for fairness and the need to be secure in my resources, then I will have everything I need. The Bible says you've missed the boat because now you've decided those things are God and the only thing which can satisfy the human soul is God himself. So what happens is we hunger for food and we decide to eat and drink and think as long as I have what I want to eat and as long as I have everything I need to drink, I will be satisfied. Despite that, no matter how much we eat, 20 minutes later, if you're like me, man, I'm hungry. You notice it never goes away. You can't eat a meal and then you should be done eating. Nor do we want it. I love being hungry because why? That means we get to eat again. What about our desire for love? Is there anything wrong with the desire for love and companionship and human intimacy? Absolutely not. But our human souls search for that in so many different ways. And we think if I have love just the way I think I ought to have it, the Bible says you're not going to be satisfied the way you think you will. What about fairness and justice? If things don't go our way, we blow up in anger and we lose our temper and we scream at the TV or we yell at the people in our house. Because things didn't go the way we wanted to. And we discover if we don't have things fair and just, and we lose our temper and blow up at the TV and blow up people in our house, we're not worshiping God. We're worshiping whatever we think ought to be. And we have exchanged a worship of God for a worship of the world needs to work the way I think it ought to work. And what about our security and our resource? As long as I have this much, everything will be fine. As long as I have this next six months covered, I know things are fine. As long as my retirement account is handled, I know things are fine. And there's nothing wrong with that. But at a certain point, God says, I am the one who will provide your security. If your soul is demanded of you, where will your security in resources be? What we ought to do instead of seeking the passions of our soul, the Bible calls us instead to be satisfied in God alone, and, they say, and then say, God, if you will, provide me companionship and love. If it's your will, you, God, provide me the resources to meet my needs and my family's needs. God, if it's your purpose, provide equity and fairness in my life. But if there is no equity and fairness in my life, God, I trust you will make things right in the end. And I can, I can handle injustice today because you will make things right one day. In the light of Christ, our eyes are opened that we can be satisfied in God alone. He is the one who will give us our food. He is the one who will give us love and relationship with others. He is the one who will give us his justice. He is the one who will provide us all we need as a blessing in our life. Look at what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 4. If you want to turn there, you're welcome to, or you can just listen as I sum up. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by 
the devil. What are we called in 1 Peter 2, 11? Sojourners, exiles. Where are we if you're sojourning and exiling? Wilderness. Where is Jesus going in Matthew chapter 4? Into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Who wrote this? Captain Obvious. He didn't, that's a joke. I don't want you to go home. I had no idea. Captain Obvious wrote the Bible. It's a joke. If you have to explain a joke, it's not funny, so I wrote that. Sorry. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus answered, quoting from the scripture, Man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus ate food. He did not live his entire life without eating food. But while eating food, we must understand what he's saying here. Food is great when God gives it, but we are not satisfied by food. We are satisfied by God. The devil took him to, a holy, to the city, set him up in the temple and said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down because the Bible says, now, Jesus, now the devil's quoting the scripture, God will command his angels concerning you and they're going to bear you up. You won't even strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. God, if you don't fix this unfairness in my life, either you're not God or you're mean. That's what the devil says. If God doesn't fix the inequity and injustice in your life, either he's not God or he's a big meanie. And Jesus says there's another way of looking at it. That with my eyes open to the light of hope, I don't need things squared away here. I don't need to put God to the test here. I can trust that when I get home, everything will be the way it ought to be. Then the devil took him up and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world at once. And he said to these, I will give all of these to you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus says, take a hike, lame He doesn't say lame you shall worship the Lord your God and him only. This is where he sums up everything and says, the eyes of our soul are opened and our hearts are worshiping of God alone and all the other things of this world we keep in their proper place. That we receive with thankfulness when God grants them, but when they are gone, these blessings of food and love and equity and possessions, when he takes them, we say, take them, God. Because that is not where my hope is. That is not where my worship lies. The light of hope calls us home. The light of hope opens our eyes. So as exiles, we can uh, still live in this uh, exiled place with honor and respect, even uh, while we say the world is not our home. So look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So just let me read the whole section again so we get the whole thing. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So just a couple of terms to define in there so we're clear. It talks about Gentiles. Oftentimes in the scripture, Gentiles refer to those who are not 
Jewish. He's using the term a little bit differently here. He's talking about those who are not uh, believers in Christ for forgiveness of sin. In fact, even in this context, those who don't believe in Christ and are a little bit antagonistic to those who do. Because the people of this, uh, who are reading this letter when it was first written, they were under pressure from those who were antagonistic to the message of the gospel. And he's using this as a generic term, not just for those who are not Jewish, but those who don't trust in Christ for forgiveness and those who are antagonistic to the message. And he's saying, when you're living among these kinds of folks, have your conduct be honorable, that they might see your good deeds, and when they accuse you of doing evil deeds, they will glorify God knowing that you are uh, obeying the Lord. So the light of hope gives us honor even in our world of exile. We talked a lot about honor last week, so if you want to hear a lot more about it, you can jump on the uh, website and watch last week's uh, message. Well, we're just going to touch on it for a moment here this morning. There's two athletes I want to use to illustrate honor, the, how the light of hope gives us honor. Here are the two athletes. They're distinct, and I think you'll see the difference between the two. One set of athletes are sumo wrestlers. Okay, sumo wrestlers, they're very, very highly trained athletes. They have to train their bodies. They have to be strong. They have to have very good balance uh, and uh, in Japanese culture, they're highly esteemed and highly honored as athletes, and that would be pretty good. But one of the training things about sumo wrestlers is their diet. They have to maintain a certain body weight. It provides them an advantage in the sumo ring because who watches sumo? Anyone? It's fantastic. I mean, anyway, the job is to knock the other guy out the circle. That's, I mean, that's the game. You, you knock the other guy out the circle. So obviously, if you've got what we might call ballast, um, it's harder to knock you out the circle. So they have a diet which uh, ensures that they're going to have a lot of strength as well as make sure that they have a, a lot of weight. Another set of athletes, you might see the distinction between these, are uh, jockeys <laughs> who ride... Um, super... Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, Jack gets the score on that one. Okay. <laughs> They ride the thoroughbred horses. Now, see, they're training. They're still athletes. They still have to have a lot of concentration. They have to know how to take the goggles off at the right time when they get muddy. I mean, it's very, very tricky to sit there and ride a, the actual athlete. Um, but their training is different. And they, they do, although they're athletes, they have, to know, they have to be experts in their field. They're not going to maintain the same diet and training regimen as sumo wrestlers. It's very, very unusual to see a sumo wrestler. Likewise, if a jockey were to find himself in a sumo ring, he'd probably just walk out. Like, no, like, like I'm, I'm just out. So here's the thing. If you're sumo and you're with your fellow sumo wrestlers, there's honor and distinction of doing the training the way other sumo wrestlers do. To train your body, to have the diet that the, among your sumo wrestlers, that is, there's honor in that. And the same thing among the jockeys. If the sumo wrestler were to go and have dinner with the jockeys, he would stand out as distinct. He would not seek to find his honor by being like the jockeys he's eating dinner with. He would find his honor by eating with and like the people he is absent from. His honor is not found in the place that he finds. If he finds himself at Churchill Downs having dinner with the jockeys, he's not going to eat like they do. He's going to eat like a sumo wrestler and say, well, among you, I don't have honor because I eat different. You don't honor the way I eat because I do it different. I find my honor not in this place, but in the place I am 
from. Do you see the distinction? And he is saying the light of hope gives us honor because the hope-seeking missile of our heart decides to, instead of seeking our honor with in this home, we are going to have our honor be the home we're going to. And what that means, he says, keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Not the way the Gentiles would honor, but the way we would be honored at our final home. Do you see what he's saying there? So that when we're accused by the Gentiles of acting dishonorably, when God's visitation occurs, that means when Jesus returns and does the cataclysmic mic drop on the world and says, it's over. The world will see him. They will then recall our deeds among them and say, wait, you were acting honorably according to the way things actually are. We were mistaken. Until that day comes, though, the world is blinded to it and it's not our home. And the light of life sheds its light on our hearts and we say, we want honor, but we want our honor to be found in a home we haven't seen yet. And in a Lord that has not made himself appear fully yet. So our conduct is honorable based on our home. And the accusation is based on our exile. When we don't seek our hope from the things of this world, we may have accusations. You live strangely. What's your problem? Well, this place is not my hope. This place is not my home. And they were receiving accusations, the people in uh, that this letter was written to originally. In fact, they were saying they were being accused of undermining the Roman government. We'll spend more time in it next week. They were accused of undermining the Roman government because their allegiance was based on a home they were going to. And the people say, no, 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 we're living honorably based on their home we are headed to. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. I think it'll be on the screen, and you can follow along with me. Matthew chapter 5. 13 through 16, Jesus says the same idea this way. You are the salt of the earth. If salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. People don't put a light, don't people, uh, I should say, people don't light a lamp and then hide it under a basket. That'd be a great song. But instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God who is in heaven. Jesus is saying here, let your light shine, meaning live in this world with hope that is not found in this world. Be salty. Salt tastes different than the stuff you put it on. If, salted, if salt tasted like eggs... You wouldn't put it on eggs. I had to make sure I did that right. Why do you eat eggs? Because they are a salt delivery system. That's the only reason we eat eggs is because we get to put salt on it. If we had our way, if nobody's at home, you're salting your hand and licking it. We all know what's happening. But people are around you, that seems rude and impolite. So I guess I'll make an egg. And he's saying, what is the point of us being in the world if we aren't salt. That's kind of harsh, isn't it? What does saltiness mean? Us walking around explaining to the world why they're lame and we're awesome? No. 
us living our life with our hope not based on this world, but another place, a home to come. See, we've gotten this so wrong throughout human history. We think it's Christians being better people than the world. That's not it. It's Christians putting their hope somewhere else than the world. When we lose everything, do we lose hope? No. So it may just be that the only way your neighbor is going to see how salty you are is for them to get to watch what it looks like for you to lose everything. Because then they will see, wait a minute, that guy just lost everything. He seems to still have hope. What do we call that? That's called being salt and light. When things go awry, that for this world would mean a loss of hope, and we as believers still have hope, that's salt. That's light. Acts chapter 2, verse 40. It's up on the screen for you to look at. The light of hope gives us honor of good deeds. With many other words, this is Peter in Acts chapter 2, verse 40, saying, We bore witness and continued to exhort them, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. The, the words up there are different. Are they different on your TVs? That's right, I have no idea. Mine, this is Acts 2.40. That is not Acts 2.40, uh, that, but that's okay. So you can ignore that because that's not right. Verse, here's Acts 2.40. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. The light of hope gives us honor. This means every now and then others need to know where hope comes from. It doesn't come from this world. It comes from Christ alone. And the way we have to do this is we have to use words and tell people. The way you have hope is to get all of your sins forgiven in Christ alone. That is where hope comes from. So the light of hope gives us honor, and the most noble, most light-filled, most salty thing we can do for the world around us is every now and then, when the Spirit leads and when we have opportunity, to tell people, Jesus saves sinners like you. You want a piece of the action? They should testify that our lives are different. They should testify that we live as those who are, have hope in Christ in our life. But at some point, we have to tell the gospel, Jesus saves sinners like you. Do you want to have hope in Christ? Put your faith in him. So the light of hope gives us honor and gives us the power to share the gospel with those who need it. One last verse, and then we're going to close. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. If I can find it in my Bible. Oh, yeah, it's the correct one on your screen. This is what Jesus said. I say to you, I'm going to start reading before in verse 43, and we're going to get up to verse 44. You have heard it said many times, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That was a common phrase at the time, but here's what Jesus says. I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Okay, who's your enemy? Think of, don't say it out loud. Oh, my goodness, they could be in the same row. Who's your, you, everybody's got one, right? It's going to be weird if it's just me. Who's that one person? You've got them in, in your head, right? And you're saying, no, no, I love everybody. You're such a liar. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to call you a liar. That's just the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm in trouble today, Todd. Who's that one person you're like, man, that guy, what is their deal? Love them, it says. I mean, I can't, you see it up there? Love your enemies. 
Why would I do that? Because Jesus loves his enemies. Well, who's that? You. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we became Captain Awesome, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So while our enemy is still being enemy, we love them. The light of hope gives us honor that allows us to live by a different set of, of things. A, an honor system that is based on a home we're not home to yet. And the way we live in that home is we love our enemies. Because we've got nothing to lose. We've inherited the kingdom of God in Christ so we can love our enemies. We can pray for those who persecute us, who treat us poorly, who treat us unfairly, who use their power against us. We can pray for them. The reason we can do that is because our home that we're going to is that good. It is so good. The Bible tells us in Romans 8 that when we get to it, we'll look back on this time and say, what was the big deal? Of course I can pray for my enemies. I've got nothing to lose. I have already gained everything. The light of hope gives us honor. And the source of our honor is our home. The question we have to ask ourselves is this, where is home? Where is home? Wherever home is, is where we will seek our honor. Wherever we call home, it is according to the honor standard of that place we will seek honor. If our honor is in an eternal home, we will seek honor the way Christ calls us to seek honor. If our home is here, we will seek honor the way everybody else in this culture seeks honor, and it's by serving self. The light of hope. One of my favorite miracles of Jesus' healing is in Mark chapter 8, verse 24, and we're going to end with this. I know I said we we're going to end earlier. Um, so I lied, and so I don't know how to, I don't know a way to do that different. I didn't mean to. Well, I did, I did mean to. Um, <laughs> I was trying to kind of on purpose keep you sort of in, because the, the meat's not going to be done for another five minutes, so I have it like, I can't be done yet. So they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to Jesus a blind man, and they begged him to touch him. And so Jesus took the blind man by the head, hand, took him out of the village, and he spit on his eyes. Get that? He spits on his face. And, it, and you know, there's a number of Old Testament reasons why that's significant, but you know that's strange that he did it. He spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, and he said, do you see anything? And the guy looked up, and he said, I see people but they look like trees walking, which is funny. The guy's been blind forever. How does he know what people look like, and how does he know what trees look like? I don't know. But he, he, he's looking around. He said, I have people. It's like, we're not there yet, Jesus. Good try. Like, we're not 2020 vision. We're more like 110 or whatever that is, right? And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored. And he could see, and he could see everything. Listen. Clearly. And actually, the, Jesus did this miracle on this way, on this particular way, on purpose, because this is how the light works. The light starts to shine in our soul, and we, we sort of blink a little, and we see things a little fuzzy. And so we follow the Lord a little more, and the light over time just starts to illuminate things more and more and more. The question is, do we see some of the light? Keep going after it. Because the light of hope is what is going to call us home. Do we see ourselves in exile here? 
If we see ourselves in exile and sojourners in this place, we will enjoy God's blessing that he gives us. Thank the Lord for the things he has given us and the people he has brought into our lives. But we won't let the things God has given us temper our yearning for a better home. That's how we have our eyes slowly open to light. Okay, thank you, God, for all the stuff you gave me and these people I know and love. But God, I, will not, I don't want this stuff to lessen my yearning for what is to come. Do you see your enemy? Our enemy is our own hope-seeking missiles of our heart. The passions of our flesh are at war within us. Somebody said this, when does the struggle with sin end? When we get home. The question is not, do you struggle with sin? The question is, do you struggle? Stay in the fight. The passions of our souls will war with us from now till the day we go home. Stay in the fight. Acknowledge that our hope-seeking hearts are yearning for hope in all the wrong places and instead ask God through repentance and faith to change our hearts to yearn more and more for his things. But stay in the fight. Understand that our enemy often is our passions. Do we seek honor from heaven or do we seek to be honored in this place? Do we seek to be honored and acknowledged one day when we get home or are we seeking to have big name, big time, big honor in this place. You will seek honor in the place that you call home. Finally this, do you see your day of vindication? When is the day everything is going to be made right? It's not next week. Well, it might be. I don't know. It's not in this world. The day of our vindication is the day that when Jesus shows up on a white horse and the world submits to his rule finally. And that is the day of our vindication. Till that day, we anchor our hope on him and him alone. Will you join me as we pray?